Good morning, One Chapel family. I said good morning. All right, can, we have, can we just do something today? Can we just have church? Can we be energetic? Can we have fun? Can we, we celebrate the living God, and we're going to do that this morning, and I am so excited. So let's have some church this morning, all right? So you can laugh, you can wave your hanky, you can say amen, you can shout, like, like let the inhibitions go, let the freedom reign, let's have some church. If you're wondering who is this guy saying have church, my name is Rob Stennett. Everyone say hi, Rob. Hi, hi One Chapel. It's so good to meet you and see you again. If we've met before, I'm the creative director here, and I have a heart for the local church, and especially One Chapel Lake Travis. I've, I have a secret for you. You want to know the secret? This place is special. God is doing something here. And not only is God doing something here, he is doing something in you. And he's going to do something in this place this morning. And I believe that. And I want you to believe it too. Can I get an amen if you believe that? All right. All right. Then we can go. All right. Today, we're going to talk about not the gospel of John, but 1 John. Okay? 1 John. This is our new summer series we're launching out. Summer is... Are you excited about summer? Who's excited about summer? Listen, some of you are thinking like, Rob, it gets hot. It gets hot in Texas. <laughs> you know, I know it gets hot, but summer is fun. I have kids. We have to wake up in the morning, and uh, we get to sleep in a little bit more, so I'm excited about summer. I'm excited about like just the um, energy that happens in summer, and most of all, I'm excited about this series because we're going to talk about 1 John, 1 Peter, and James throughout the summer, and then what's important about this, Peter, James, and John, if you read the Bible, these are three of Jesus' closest Friends, And so we're going to really dig into uh, what it means to learn from Jesus' friends. A lot of times when we read the scriptures, we read from either the Gospels in the New Testament or we read from the letters of Paul. Those are so amazing. But there's something a little bit different that happens when you read from people who actually walked and talked with Jesus and knew what he stood about. And so I think, uh, so let's talk about the first John a little bit. Traditionally, we think of uh, this as written by John the Evangelist, John the Beloved, the Apostle John. He wrote the Gospel of John, wrote the book of Revelation, and then wrote these three letters. Now, there is some debate about who the actual author is. Some people say, hey, it was John the Disciple. Some people say it was John the Elder. But what we know for sure about this John is this. We know this author was a friend. Everyone say friend. friend. He was a friend of Jesus. Most importantly, the author describes an eyewitness relationship with Jesus in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. He talks about what he's seen, and he talks about what he's heard. And so what's this book about, 1 John? Well, actually, what he's talking about is he's dealing with false teaching and uh, dealing with what's real and what's fake. And I think what's so incredible about this book is like, this couldn't be a more important subject for 2023. Like, open your Apple News, open your news, click on CNN, click on wherever you get your news from, and there is so much discussion about what's real and what's fake. We're talking about fake news. We're talking about AI. We're talking about images that we're like, okay, I'm not sure if that's, like, who wrote this? What does this look like? The idea of what is truth is so prescient in today's culture. And what's so incredible is John gives the ultimate antidote to always finding the truth. He gives that, and I'm going to give that to you in this chapter today. But what the real thing that they were struggling with was something called Gnosticism, which suggests that all spiritual elements are good and all physical elements are bad, and thereby denying Jesus' humanity, because that would make God flesh or evil, and that was impossible. And what's so interesting about lies? Have you ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? 
we're like at icebreaker parties, you're on like the business convention or like the staff retreat or something like that, and they're going to do like two truths and a lie. Uh, we, I've played that game a lot of times, and if you've ever played it, you, what you do is you tell two truths about yourself and one lie. And I usually win at that game because I'm a really good liar. <laughs> and if you want to be a good liar, I will teach you the secret to good lying. Uh, so if you want to be like, hey, Rob, how do you become a great liar? Here's the secret to good lying. The secret is you have to use 80 to 90% of the truth. So you make 80 to 90% of the truth, so you say, hey, one time when I was in summer, I did this, this, and this, only it was actually the fall or something like that. You change one little detail, and you give everything else the truth. And let me tell you something. You know who else knows this? The enemy. The enemy knows. He will speak a lie to you that's rooted in 80% truth, and then there's that last little bit that's actually the lie, and so we get blurred. It's like, up, oh, you're going to fail again. You're going to fail again because this is who you are, this is what you've done, this is what you've done before. And so you're like, you know what? I have failed before. I have come short before. So therefore, I'm going to fail again. And so we believe in these lies because there's so much of the truth baked into them, then we're not sure what's real and what's true. And that's what John was talking about today. He's talking about Gnosticism, which is saying, hey, Jesus is good, God is good, therefore he can't be flesh because God is good. But the whole point of the scripture was like, no, he was fully human and fully God. And why that was so important is because what John was saying is like, you don't understand. I was there with Jesus. I walked with him, I talked with him, and I can tell you, any other God that's in any other temple in this place is not the same as Jesus who came down to walk and talk with us. And so that's what this whole book is rooted in. And so um, I want to really dive into that today. And I think like, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to share you the antidote for what is the ultimate truth. But to have that antidote, what you have to know is you have to know that the whole uh, who Jesus is, is related it to John knew Jesus so intimately, knew exactly who he was. And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about actually like myself, I was thinking about my own story. Uh, I want to take you on memory. Can we go on memory lane real quick? All right. So memory lane, I want to show you a photo. I've never showed this at One Chapel before, but this is a photo right here. Uh, this is me. <laughs> this is me in college. And uh, I, I was the dude in the blue right there. Uh, and then uh, in college, I actually had a radio show on our campus and uh, we would do trivia, and people would call in and win the trivia. And what the trivia for was you could either win a date with me and my co-host, that dude right there in the glasses. You could either win a date with us or a $1 bill. And so <laughs> it's true. We did a radio show called Date or a Dollar, and I gave a lot of dollars away uh, that year. <laughs> no, that's not true. We actually, we actually went on a lot of dates, so it was so fun. But the guy uh, to the far uh, right there, that's Andrew. That is... Uh, he was one of my, he was actually my best friend. We'd play basketball all the time. And uh, he had a sister named Sarah. And so I was going on all these dates, but there was this sister of his. We'd play basketball. And I remember she came out one day and I was like, your sister, what's going on there? And he was like, get out, you know, <laughs> get away. And so we ended up like Sarah and I became best friends and we started dating and uh, we really stayed really, really close. And eventually in, uh, Let's see, it was October of 2022. I went and I wrote, we had known each other for eight years and we had finally fallen in love. And I wrote this story called Sleepless in Colorado Springs. We, we put together a play. And at the very end of this play that I put on for her, my family came out dancing, her family came out dancing to choreograph dance to Can You Feel the Love Tonight from Lion King. <laughs> 
And so we do this whole thing, and she's like, oh my gosh, what is my father doing? And he was just like, oh, you know, just like full ballet moves. And at the very end, it goes, and then I pulled her up on the stage, and there's like 500 people there. It was at our youth group. It was this massive, massive thing. I pulled her up on stage, and I was like, you are the most beautiful woman I have ever known. Will you be my husband? And uh, <laughs> I kind of choked in that moment because the lights were bright and there was so much going on. And I was like, wife, wife, I mean, will you be my wife? And she's crying and I'm crying and then hug. And then we ended up uh, getting married. And this is a photo right here. And uh, that's, that's us. That's young Rob and Sarah. And it will be, I can't believe I'm about to say this, it is going to be our 20th wedding anniversary in June. And so 20 years I have known her, 20 years, or 20 years we've been married, I've known her for more, closer to 30 years. We've known each other for a long time. And here's the thing, I know her so well that I know exactly what she sounds like, I know what she thinks. You could take her phone and you could send a text message from her and it would say it's from her, it would say it's from her phone number, but I'd be like, nope, that's not Sarah. That's not the word she would use, that's not how she describes it. I know exactly who she is, how she thinks, and what she says. Listen, we need to know Jesus in this same way. We need to know exactly how he thinks, what he says, and how he speaks. John knew Jesus in that way, and he said, listen, this over here is a lie. This is not the truth. I'm going to teach you what the truth is. And so this morning, if you want to know that intimate, intimate truth of Jesus, we can look at John. So open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life appeared, we have seen it and testify it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that we may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he will forgive our sins and purifies from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we will make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And so this passage is really, really powerful. That's, the, that's all of chapter, John 1, uh, 1 John chapter 1. And what really stands out to me is we proclaim what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. You see, this is about us having relationship with God, and this is about us having relationship with each other. He's like, that is where the truth lies. When you have a relationship with God, when God is speaking into your life, and when you have other people who know God, know Jesus speaking into your life, that is the antidote for so many lies, for so many much untruth that will come against you. Yeah. Friends plus faith results in fellowship, and fellowship brings joy. The truth is, God is light in everything that comes from God. So the light, what does the light mean? The light means hope. Have you ever felt hope, like true hope? Like, I've, like that day, that wedding day, I felt hope. I saw the future. I saw excitement for the future. I looked at her, I was like, we're gonna build a life together, and there was so much hope there. The light means joy. Joy, that smile that you bring, 
ear to ear where you're just smiling. Wesley Lumford, by the way, has the best laugh and the best smile. If you, just follow that guy around, tell him a joke, and he will just make you laugh because he has this laugh that is like uh, contagious, and I just love the joy that that man has. Peace, peace, the light is peace. Just a deep breath. Everyone do it. Take a deep breath. Just that, okay, knowing the light is like, all right, there is no fear. There is no anxiety. There is no restlessness. It is like God is here. And worship this morning, I have to be honest, I was thinking about the message, thinking about so many things. I started worshiping, and I was like, okay, God is here. This isn't about what I have to say. This is about what God has to say to all of us, and I don't want any anxiety. I just want to focus on that. It's about relationship, knowing the creator of heaven and earth. And so I have good news for you. If you walk in the light, you will be okay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But not all of us are walking in the light. (laughs) And what happens sometimes is the darkness slips in. Oh, that was, that was ominous. The darkness, the darkness comes in. And so the truth is this. You could have come up here and said the same thing. You're like, okay, I know, be in the light. Like, we know this, but I was talking with Travis this morning, and I was like, why do we know that the light is supposed to be there and it's so easy for the darkness to come and creep into our life? Why does it happen? Like, we know the right answer. We know what we're supposed to say. You're either, you're either like from church or you either know that or you know what a pastor is going to say, like, hey, follow Jesus and God, and that'll give you the light. It's like, okay, I get it, I get it. We know it, but so much we slip into the darkness. And so I want to talk about that this morning. There are two, everyone say two. two. There are two S words that keep us in the dark. Not the S words you're thinking, two S words that keep us in the dark. And this is what we're up against. The first word is this, selfishness. My needs are the most important things in the world. That is one piece of a lie that is coming at you from every possible angle, and you've probably thought for yourself. And if I'm honest, this is the one that I struggle with, my selfishness. Because it is natural, our own thoughts, our own needs, our own feeling, when we're feeling hungry, when we're feeling sad, when we're feeling, those are so right in front of us that it's all we think about. We're like, okay, my selfishness, my needs. So I did actually a deep dive into selfishness this week to try to understand why are we so selfish, not just looking at scripture, but looking at like psychology and news articles, different things. This is some of my findings. The nature of human behavior says this, that men are often the most selfish. Uh, I know I'm throwing some smoke up here. Men, this is what they say, male neural reward systems are more stimulated by self-centeredness, while women are more likely to get a dopamine rush while helping others. So men, we're naturally selfish. There's something in that that's like, all right, men are selfish. But ladies, you're not off the hook either. The Guardian reported, actually said, women are more selfish than men. They're more likely to ignore charity workers at the front door, and they take a bigger piece when they split chocolate. (laughs) I I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it's a little bit true. Psychology Today said this, Psychology Today said this, we're wired to be selfish. People are used to value sacrificing for the love and people used to value sacrificing for the love and support of others, and now they only see sacrificing for others as a means to self-fulfillment. So it's like, okay, 
I'll do something nice for someone else, but what's in it for me? You ever heard that phrase? What's in it for me? And if we haven't said it, we think it all the time. Okay, I'm gonna, my, like, I go, I go to like food trucks, coffee shops, that sort of stuff, and the person there is like, oh, you look great, I like your shirt, that sort of stuff. And all I'm really thinking, this is my cynic, is like, oh, they know in just a second the tip screen's coming up, and they're wondering what I'm going to click on the tip. Now, that may not be true, but I'm so wired. I think we're all so wired to think of this selfishness of like, okay, someone's being nice to me, but what's in it for them? And we have this transactional relationship in so many places, like, all right, I'm going to say this, I'm going to like their post, and they'll like my post or whatever else. We've become so transactional that we're thinking like, okay, what action can I do that's going to give me the most ROI in friendship and career and happiness? Like, how do I maximize my okayness? It's not what we're looking for. It's very antithetical to the gospel. What does the Bible say about it? 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says this, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. James 3.16 says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Luke 17.33 says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. That's Jesus saying that. And so we're, it's like, we, this is the question that I think so many people think about. It's not being selfish. People don't think about, am I selfish? People ask this question that's so damaging. Am I happy? Am I happy? I saw a buddy of mine ask this question, am I happy in his marriage? And he's like, I'm just not happy here. So I'm going to walk away from my marriage because we're just not making each other happy anymore. It's not my fault. It's not her fault. We're just, we just don't make each other happy anymore. So it's going to be easy to walk away. And he's told me in the last year, he's like, I wasn't seeing clear. I wasn't seeing great. I was looking at my happiness was my goal in the marriage and I just missed it. But we ask this question so much, am I happy? And then we ask, okay, the reason this is such a damaging question is because we say, okay, if I'm not happy, what do I need to do? What do I need to take? What advantage do I need to get to find happiness? When happiness becomes our true north, it leads to damaging, damaging things, and it makes us the center of our life. I do think it's a, I think what's tricky about the question, am I happy, is it's an 80% good question with 20% of lies. And so I think a better question probably is, am I okay? Just simply, am I okay? If some, is something broken that needs to be fixed? What trajectory is my life on? My, my friend, I wish, instead of him asking, am I happy in my marriage? Like, are we okay with each other? Like, how do we become okay? How do we support each other? And so, and so if you're not okay, what, I'm, what I want you to not hear is like, oh, I shouldn't think of myself. I shouldn't think of how I'm doing. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like, it's okay to think of yourself, but the goal is not happy. The goal is like, okay, I'm okay. I can make it through this. And then once I'm okay, I can lift my eyes and see how other people are doing and live beyond myself. And honestly, honestly, what I believe is that's where true happiness is. And my marriage, my happiness does not come from, some, from Sarah making me happy. It comes from like when I serve her and when I do something and it's like, okay, I took care of her today. She's happy. Therefore, that means so much more to me. It's the same with my kids, the same with my friendships, but the selfishness is so easy to creep in. Jesus says this in John. This is now the Gospel of John 3:19. Says this is the verdict. The light has come in the world, but the people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. 
But whoever lives by truth comes in the light so that we may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so what we need to do is we need to open ourselves up to the light. This leads me up to the second S word, which is this. Second S word, secrets. The secrets are actually the opposite. It's actually the truth that I have to hide. So the secrets are actually true. There's something true. It's a fact about you, something you've done, something you've thought, but it's like, ah, I've got to hide that truth. Let's go back to John 1, 1. It says, we claim to be out sin. Without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so it's like, oh, no, I'm fine. I don't have sin. I'm okay. I'm okay. John is saying, nope, don't do that. And so once again, I looked at science. I looked at journalism and said, okay, what's going on with secrets? And I found some, this fascinating according to The Atlantic. The Atlantic wrote an article about secrets, and it said the average person is keeping 13 secrets right now. 13 secrets right now. Five. Five of the secrets they've never told another living soul. And so when I looked at that, I, I, what I was struck by and reading the article, what they said is like, the goal of the secret is to hide it. That means the secret isn't secret just when it's happening. So the thing about a secret is you do something, you think something, whatever else, in one moment, but then it travels around with you in every conversation, in every interaction. It's something that holds on to you, that weighs you down. And he's like, we're actively hiding these things, and it leads to such anxiety and fear and depression when we hold on to these secrets. And Jesus is saying, you have to bring things into light because... We fear that they're going to be exposed, but keeping them a secret is what's so heavy. And I've, I've had so many times in my life where it's like, okay, you have different secrets, different things. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell a story today that I've never told. I've told a lot of crazy stories in one chapel history. I've never told this one to a group, but I'm going to tell it because my kids aren't here. Uh, and so, <laughs> so when I was in high school, I was invited uh, to this party. I was there, and there were like some girls there, and me and my buddy were like trying to impress some girls, and we're like... They're like, they're like, hey, you can come to the party. And they're like, oh, yeah. And they're like, we're like, oh, yeah, we can get some like, beer, some alcohol, and we can bring it to the party. And they're like, oh, really? That'd be awesome. We're like, oh, yeah, we know how to do that. And so then we go. We go to the party. And then they're like, we get invited. And it's like, okay, did you bring the stuff? And we're like, no, we, we couldn't get it. They're like, oh, we thought you were going to get it. And we're like, oh, we totally know how. We didn't know how. We're like, we totally know how. We're going to go and do this, make this happen. So we're like, all right. We went outside the liquor store and tried to get someone to buy something for us. And they kicked us out. They're like, no, go away. And so then we went, we went to actually like a Safeway. It's kind of like Randall's. I can't believe I'm telling the story right now. We went to, <laughs> we went to a, this is a true story though. We went to a Safeway. It was about, you know, midnight, whatever else. Have you ever been to a grocery store late at night and they're kind of like stocking all the shelves, that sort of stuff? Stocking the shelves. We saw the beer aisle and we're like, ah, we're like, they're not going to let us buy it. And my buddy has an idea. He's like, you know what? They stock it in the back we can just go grab the stuff in the back and there's a fire exit out there and we can take it and go straight out the fire exit. I can feel your anxiety. <laughs> I was the same way. I was like, oh, and as he said this, I was like, this is such a bad idea. I told this secret that I knew how to do this thing or I told this lie that I knew how to do it and had this secret and now I'm like trapped in it. That's the thing about secrets is it traps you. And so we go and we find, like we're in the back of this place. He grabs a case and I was like, I was like, okay, stop. This is a bad idea. We shouldn't do it. And he's holding this case and he's like, you're right. And then he runs out the fire exit. <laughs> and it goes, Rrr! 
<laughs> it's so loud. And I'm standing in the back of the store and three checkers come in and they look at me and I look at them and I was like, I didn't do it. And I run out the fire exit all the way out. <laughs> I just run out. So we finally go and we get back to this party and we're like, all right. And we're, now we're the heroes. We go from the losers to the heroes. So everyone's like, yeah. And so we're passing out the beers, that sort of stuff. And so we're like, cheers. And we're drinking. We're idiot high school kids. We drank one beer. We, we drank two beers. We drank three beers, and we're all like looking at each other, and we're like, do you like feel anything? <laughs> and we're like, no. And we're like, do you feel anything? And he's like, no. And we're all like, this is like the worst beer ever. And then finally someone goes and like flips it over, and I'm like, you guys, this beer is called Odul's. <laughs> like, what's Odul's? And then I look below, and it says, non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> Jesus turned water into wine. <laughs> but I swear, for Rob's dinner, he turned beer into non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> he would not let me get away with it. <laughs> this is a 100% true story. And it was, it was such a stupid lie. It was such a stupid little secret. I've had heavier ones, that sort of stuff. Um, but what I found about secrets as you go, they weigh on you, and they trap you, and they cost you so much more than you think they're worth. 1 John 1 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to a liar, and his word is not looking like, or his word is not in us. It's so easy to claim, like, I'm okay and have that secret. And what I found about secrets and these sort of things is it's like a firecracker is the analogy I use. Imagine a firecracker in your hand going off. It's going to burn you. It's going to hurt. But what we do when we hold a secret, so that thing, that sin, that thing that's a secret, it's going to burn you. It's going to hurt. That's the truth. And the lie that we get told is like, okay, if I cover up this secret, then I'm going to be so much better. And what we're doing is that firecracker that's in our hand, we're covering it up. And when it explodes, it's going to tear your hand apart. It's going to tear it off. And that's what we do with these things in our life. We have these secrets. We have these things. I'm going to conceal them. I'm going to put them down. And when they explode, it tears everything apart. It weighs on us. It costs us too much. And what the enemy wants to say is like, mm, don't let the truth come to light. Don't be vulnerable. Don't say that thing. Because when it does, it's going to tear you apart. Where Jesus says, no, let it in the light. You are forgiven. You are free. You do not have to carry this with you anymore. That's what I've called you to do. I'm going to call the band to go ahead and come on up here. It's simple. It's simple one chapel. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So three, three big ideas, three big quick takeaways. Walk in the light means no secrets. Don't lie to each other. Tell them the truth. Use discretion. Pray about it. You, you need a close friend or two. You need a few people who you can just tell anything to and get wisdom from. You don't have to tell everyone everything. But those five secrets, that's what really jumped out to me, those things that you can't tell everyone, that's what God does not want from you. Expose things to the light. Big idea number two. Fellowship is created when we share vulnerability. Healthy, openness, honesty, they're incredibly bonding. I had a rift, actually, with a friend this week that was just, just a little rift. And I went and 
just sat down and I was like, I don't want to talk about it. It's, it's just going to bring whatever else. And I felt God really saying, and I'm conflict averse. I want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to be okay. But every time I saw this friend, there's a little like pain in my heart. And I was like, I just need to talk to him. And I was vulnerable and I took it on myself. I was like, this is probably not even you. This is me. This is my story. I talked to him and I'm telling you one chapel, weight was lifted off me. I was like, why didn't I do that three months ago that I've been carrying around? Why did, why did I just not confront it? Why did I not be vulnerable? It was so much better. Third idea is this, the blood of Jesus is best applied in community. Blood of Jesus is strong enough to forgive any sin, failure, or transgression. The problem is we intend to apply it in isolation when God intended us to apply the blood of Jesus in community. We all know someone who will say to us, I love you, I forgive you, I'm praying for you. I was telling Zach today about, uh, Pastor Zach, I was telling him about a situation that came up in my family and someone said, hey, I just need you to pray with me about this difficult situation. And it's so much stronger when we could carry these things together. C.S. Lewis said, sin, this about sin. He said, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. The process of surrender, this movement full speed astern is what Christians call repentance. Now repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means killing a part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. Sometimes we don't wanna confess, we hide. And listen, I believe repentance is actually a joy word. It just means like, okay, I'm gonna own this, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna let it go completely. That's why James 5 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's what this is really about. This is not about guilt. This is not about shame. I, I hope you're not hearing that from me this morning. I hope you're not hear, you don't hear a pastor saying, you're doing something wrong. You're living wrong. You're doing this wrong. That's not what I'm saying. That's the 80% and there's this other 20% life. That's what you hear. What I'm saying to you this morning is God wants you to be healed. God wants you to be restored. That's what this is all about. Be in the light. I was thinking about, as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about like, I have a, I have a daughter who's finishing up her junior year. She's gonna be a senior. And it is so weird, that young couple that you saw at the very beginning, to imagine that young couple. I mean, when I got married one chapel, I didn't own a plate. Like I didn't own like silverware. I didn't have any adult things. So I was like going from that to like, okay, now I've raised a girl who is going to go into the world. I'm like, what do I want her to know as she leaves the house? And what I want her to know is like, life is a journey. The analogy that I gave is it's like, kind of like going backpacking on a backpacking trip and you're going on this journey, and the more weight, like Wesley talked about it this morning, it was so profound. He said, some of you are hearing, carrying heavy things, and I believe that as well. It's like, you're hiking this mountain that we all have to hike, but some of you are carrying so much weight on that hike, you don't need to carry it anymore. And if you carry it, you're not gonna climb as high as God wants you to climb. So I wanna give you the permission this morning to take the weight out. So what I want you to do is actually just stand up. At one chapel, we take a little bit of time at the end of our service to just pray and to worship together. And what I want to ask you this is just the, the same sort of question of like, is not just, is there selfishness? Is there a secret? Not just that, but like, is there false truth in my life? Is there something, a way that I'm thinking or believing 
that is keeping me distant from God? Is there a weight that I'm carrying that is too heavy and I just don't wanna carry anymore? And if you have anything like that, I want you to pray. I want you to pray and you can pray in your seat or I can invite the prayer team and you can come up here and there's something powerful, I'm just telling you. You may be thinking like, ah, I don't need to pray with someone this morning. There is something powerful that happens when you just go and say, hey, will you pray with me about this? So we'll take some time right now and we'll just worship together. And I want you to think about these things. And I want you to think, where is there darkness? Where is there heaviness? Where's there burden in my life? And where do I need to let that go? Let's worship together.